0: Well, let's uh, pray as we begin this new series in the book of Joshua. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Heavenly Father, we pray for your uh, grace today to abound. Pray that you give us insights and revelation, and that you speak to our hearts and transform us. And just mindful of the words of the hymn that we had earlier, um, still let me ever watch and pray and feel that I am frail, that if the tempter cross my way, yet he may not prevail. Help us to be those who know where we're weak, so that we can receive the strength that you order us in this passage to receive. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm going to have to up the lectern as per average. <laughs> it's incredibly low. Uh, this is partly a visual aid for the, the sermon, uh, Gotta slow that. We need an automated lexicon here. Um, the character who is departed in this story is someone that I was trying to work out how we would explain him. It's a bit like Queen Elizabeth II meets Winston Churchill, meets Thomas Cranmer, the guy who wrote the uh, prayer book, rolled into one person. Uh, has suddenly disappeared off the face of the earth in one go, leaving behind them an understudy who's known them since they were a young person themselves. They've been the bag carrier to this Winston Churchill, Queen Elizabeth, Thomas Cranmer character rolled into one, and suddenly, in utter devastation, we get these words, uh, Moses, my servant, is dead. I mean, what a sense of extreme loss you must have had at that particular moment. Loss, but interestingly also anticipation. Not quite the same anticipation that the uh, heir to the throne has had uh, stuffed up his sleeve for a few decades now, wondering if he's ever going to be king. Um, This man, Joshua, truly loved his master. But the people of Israel were not going to go into the promised land until a whole generation had passed away. And it's partly that story that we need to know if we're going to understand the passage we've just read. Back in Numbers chapter 11 through 15, we pick up a story that we were sort of rehearsing in this service a while ago. And we meet Joshua on two particular occasions that are very important to us. The first one is when the people have been grumbling against Moses in chapter 11. And his father in laws come to visit. And his father-in-law has given him good advice. And you'll notice at the end of this chapter that the father-in-law is swiftly dispatched off to another location, having given good advice to uh, his son-in-law. And yet, nevertheless, the, the uh, advice proves to be good. And what he said is, you can't manage to lead on your own, uh, Moses. And therefore, you need to choose 70 leaders, and they are going to receive the Spirit, and they're going to share the burden with you. And the Spirit falls on these 70 leaders And it also falls on two extra random people who happen to be too close to them at the time. And here we meet Joshua for the first time, and he says, Moses, stop it, stop it, stop letting the Spirit of God fall on these extra people, because it should only be on them, and probably on me as well, if you don't mind, because I'm your understudy. And you get the sort of Joshua's heart. Really, he wants to be in control, he wants things to be right, he wants things to work as they should do. He doesn't want it to spill away from Moses. He wants to know where power is, and he wants to be near the center of it. And Moses replies with one of the most wonderful lines in, in the Old Testament, chapter 11, verse 29 of Numbers. He says, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would put his spirit upon all of them. And there you see Moses is called the heart of God, because in the book of Joel, That's exactly what's prophesied will come in the age that we now live in, that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all of God's people, young and old, will prophesy, and that's what we get to do now. We get to be the sheep who know God's voice, as Jesus put it. So then we meet uh, Joshua Mark 1, and that little bit tells us that he was Moses's understudy, his servant from his youth. Uh, Verse 28, that he had a desire for things to work rightly. He was zealous for, uh, for God and the things of God. And, and then we meet him just a couple of chapters later, where the scouts are sent into Canaan. This is on sort of uh, month one of their trip into the desert. And, um, and God says he's going to give the land of Canaan to the Israelites. So people get sent out to uh, do this. And um, when they come back... Um, Heshia uh, um, son of Nun is renamed Joshua by Moses in, in that so his original name was Heshia uh, Moses has given him a sort of pet name of Joshua and uh, when they when they come back um, Caleb and Joshua are the only ones who think that they can get away with going into Canaan <laughs> having escaped from Egypt just a month before the might of Egypt they're suddenly petrified of the Canaanites they say they're like giants in the land we can't possibly go into there and uh, there's a whole saga that you can read again, and Moses has to intercede for the people because God says that they're treating me with contempt. His people are treating him with contempt when they say that the vision is too big. God says the vision is to go into Canaan. They says it's too big. He says you're treating me with contempt. That's chapter 14, uh, verse 11 They will never believe me even when they've seen miraculous signs that I've done among them. I will disown them, God says. And anyway, it carries on through. There's a punishment that comes their way. But Joshua and Caleb become the only two people from that generation who get to walk into the promised land. Moses is prevented from it for something else that happens on later on in his life. And so now Moses is dead. Now a generation is dead. Although there's extreme loss, there's also extreme anticipation, because all of their uh, last four decades have been waiting for the chance to go to the place that he's already seen when he was known as Hoshea, son of Nun. Now, will Joshua walk into the Promised Land, and how will he do it? But Winston Churchill meets Queen Elizabeth II meets Thomas Cranmer is a big loss in anyone's team formation. If you're doing a football manager thing and you suddenly lose Cristiano Ronaldo, you're, you're not sure how you're going to do in the following season, are you? And indeed, Real Madrid did pretty appallingly. Um, and Joshua is wondering, am I going to be Real Madrid this year? Or is there some hope for me? You get a sense of what he's asking because of the things that God says to him. Uh, verse 5, it says, No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. Presumably, he's answering, how am I going to be able to cope with these big baddies out there? He says, I will not fail you nor abandon you. Maybe he's wondering, I wonder if God will turn away from me as he's turned away from people who've treated him with contempt in the past. It says that you will be successful in everything you do. I imagine he's asking, can I ever make this thing work? It's a big gig taking over Canaan. He's wondering, Uh, whether he'll be discouraged, whether he'll be afraid. And God says, do not be afraid or discouraged. These are the questions that he's bringing into his new role, his new ministry, his new leadership position. Can I do it? Am I going to fail? Am I ever going to cope with the fact that internally I feel like a mouse? How am I supposed to be a lion on the outside? Maybe what he saw when he was young as an easy win for God, the years have taken a battering on him. Maybe he's not as sure as he was in his early youth, that God can do the things that he was pretty sure God could do back in the day. Is it still the same God who rescued them from Egypt, he may be answering? So let's look at the passage and see what some of the answers to these heartfelt questions for this dear man are. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servants, the Lord speaks to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, using the name that Moses has given him. He says, First thing, Moses, my servant, is dead. Reality check. It's a new day. You're just going to have to face the facts Moses is dead. Boom. Full stop. Moses is dead. (laughs) You can't go back. You can't go (laughs) round. You've got to go through it. He's dead. That's just reality. Face reality. But the second thing is, therefore, The time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. Reality check and commission. It's time. It is time. Therefore, because he's dead, it's now your time, your era, your chance to step up. You need to lead these people into the land I'm giving you. I promise you what I promised Moses. All that stuff that was laid out on a plate for him, it's now yours you get the same God and you get the same promises wherever you set your foot you will be on land I have given you from the Negev in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north from the Euphrates to the east and the Mediterranean Sea in the west including all the land of the Hittites now in a subsequent week Dave is going to uh, carefully explain to us why a loving God has to uh, fulfill his threats and his promises and why these Hittites and others are being driven out of the land, and the incredible wickedness that they have performed, that means that God has finally lost his extreme patience with them. Um, But for now, what we know is the promise. I'm going to give you this stuff. You get to walk into it. And no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. The biggest promise that, that Moses had in his life was, um, do you remember when they came out of Egypt and, and there's fiery uh, pillars and clouds, and uh, God sort of says, all right then, see you on the other side. And Moses pleads with God, he says, if you do not go with us, how will anyone know whose we are? How will anyone know that it's you who's rescued us? How will anyone know who gets the credit for what's gone on? And what does God say? He says some words that were written over the church I grew up in. I could never remember these words until the day I was fully converted. I'd walk away and I just couldn't remember these words. He says these words. My presence will go with you. My presence will go with you. And that's the promise that Moses treasured the most. It's now the promise that uh, Joshua is being given, and it's the promise in the New Testament era that we all get to carry with us. Lo, I am with you to the very end of the age, says Jesus. I will send you a comforter, a counselor, my Holy Spirit, who will be with you. I will be with you as I was with, with Moses. I'll be with you, Emma and Dave. I'll be with you, the whole lot of you, as I was with Moses. And he used to talk to Moses face to face. See, we find out, as an aside, in the New Testament that what Moses experienced of God was through a veil. Even though Moses' face came out glowing from those encounters, we have something better than Moses. The presence of God living in us by the Spirit is better than what they got to see face to face of God. But Joshua gets to tag in and goes, I've got it. Everything, everything, everything Moses had, And he's not going to fail me or abandon me. And then he says, and this is the most well-known bit of this passage, he says the same thing three times over. And three times is just a way of reinforcing it, because it's probably the thing that he needs to hear the most. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And he says it in reverse. Do not be afraid or discouraged. And the suggestion here is that courage and strength is an act of will. You can choose to have it or not. If he can just say, be strong and courageous, God doesn't waste words. It's like, it's not just that he's imparting it to him. He's saying, go on then, be strong. Be courageous. Get on with it. Do it. You've got the authority now. You've got the position now. Just step up to the mark. Be strong be courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. What does Jesus say again and again? Do not be afraid. Have faith. Step up. Trust in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. It's like an act of volition. You say, okay, I'm going to have courage. Okay, I will not be discouraged. Okay, I will not be afraid. This man is facing incredible odds, leading a rat bag army through a desert and out into the other side. So how is he going to stay strong and courageous? Well, he gives the answers to that in verse seven and eight. He says, "Be careful to obey the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left. Then you'll be successful. Study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you are sure to obey everything in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. What's the key to this strength, to this courage? It's the word of God. It's the word of God. It's not the worship in the tabernacle, it's not prayer. It's not company, it's not a pep talk, it's not a podcast, it's not a video, it's not an exercise regime. It's meditating day and night on the word of God and obeying it carefully, (laughs) not deviating from it. I imagine that this passage has been used so many occasions when someone's stepping up into and your roles or ministries or life, you sort of turn to it and you think, yes, I've got to be strong and courageous. And it's spoken to lots of us, I'm sure, today and, and also in other times of our lives. But to get the full force of it, let's just remember the historical context. Think how big the job Joshua has got to do is. He's got to lead a couple of million people who were not trained in warfare. <laughs> into a land that's hostile to them, where there'll be temptations on every side to go left or right, where amalgamating with the locals would be the easiest thing, but would lead to the destruction of the people of God, where just giving up and stopping halfway would be so tempting, where everyone would be screaming at him to say, no, I just want to give up now, where God's sort of way of doing things will be like just march around a city seven times and blow a trumpet until you look completely foolish. The job that he's being given here is ridiculously difficult. Is he equipped for it? By no means. Who is? Napoleon? And yet, he is going to be successful and prosper in everything. Why? Because of who his master is, who his Lord is, who his God is. And whatever we've been given to do today, whatever tasks are before us, whether it's to be prayer warriors, whether it's to fight for God's things through evangelism, or it's to do well in business, whether it's to strive after God in leadership roles, it stands to reason that pretty much all of us, apart from maybe Boris Johnson, if he's listening in on the podcast, (laughs) Don't have a harder job than Joshua. And we've got the same God that Joshua had, and therefore the same resources that Joshua had. And the success depends not on us, but on him. We just have to remember to read, study, obey, and follow that act of will, being strong and courageous because he tells us to. Easier said than done. So let's pray for each other to carry on that journey. May God bless us today. May you speak strength and courage into our hearts where we need it, where we're aware of our limitations, where we're aware of our weaknesses, where we're aware of how little equipped we are to do what you've called us to do. Would you come and breathe life? Not because we deserve it, not because we're brilliant, not because we're good, but for the sake of your name for the glory of your name. Would you come here, Lord Jesus, today and do a work in each of our hearts that equips us for such a time as this. May the hand of God be truly upon us. In Jesus' precious name.